0: Believe me, it is good to be here with you today. I'm going to be a little unfriendly later though because I'm getting over a little bit of a 24 hour bug. This is like about hour 25. <laughs> so I just soon not pass on anything to you today. Um, so I won't uh, greet greet you at the back today. But it's wonderful to, to be with you and to know that you're able to be here as well because we sure did miss last Sunday. Um, that is why, by the way, if you look at your bulletin and it says January 31st, uh, we're recycling. We we just decided it'd be uh, good to use the the, um, the music and the sermon and the paper from last week to save a little bit. You do have an insert with updated material um, as to as to who is being our usher and the flowers and things like that. So. Uh, do want to make sure that you are guided by that for some of the activities today. The make a swish that the children were to do last Sunday is, has been postponed until today. That will be at 4.30 till six today, including a hot dog dinner and all of our children are invited. This is um, uh, a money raising project where you agreed to sponsor one of the children as to see how many baskets they can sink uh, on the basketball court. Um, So we remind you of that. And since this is going on today, there will be no children's choir or activities later on following this. This is all that is happening for them today, which is plenty. The young people will be meeting this afternoon for their, uh, how many annual Andy? Eighth annual Super Bowl football game out here on the Arlington uh, field. That's at what, 2.30? So uh, we invite our youth to to be present for that. Most of our children were present at our early service today because they sang for us at the early service, but if we have any today in this service, Beverly is planning to take whoever's here up to the library for uh, a chance to get some library books checked out and the time for that is during our second hymn later on uh, this morning. Robbie Septon has an announcement to share with us at this time.
1: Good morning. Uh, Just a reminder for all the men out there I know you haven't forgotten today's February the 7th, the Super Bowl. It's a good, uh, good day, but don't forget, seven days from now, it's February 14th, and that's the Daytona 500. So <laughs> make sure we mark that on our calendars. It's uh, also Valentine's Day, and uh, we're encouraging everybody this year to come out and spend their Valentine's Day with us as the, uh, our cross-training Sunday school class is having the third annual Midwinter Dinner, Cheerful Hearts Midwinter Dinner. Uh, If you haven't got your tickets yet, they're $10 a piece, Um, and Adam will, you'll be out there after service also, Adam, or you can find anybody from our class. Um, We have a great auction set up this year, so if you haven't got a Valentine's present yet, don't worry about getting flowers that'll wilt away and die. Uh, We've got a trip to Charleston, a trip to Gatlinburg, um, lots of really, I found out this morning there's a real nice purse that came in. So lots of good things that you can uh, get that night. And of course all the money comes back here to help the church budget as well as uh, those in need here in the area with the Greer Relief. And I just hope everybody will come out and support us next week. And we look forward to seeing everybody there at 6 o'clock. If you need a ticket, see Adam in the back today. Thanks.
0: Another opportunity you have for giving today is, as you leave, there will be some youth with pots, like you put soup in to cook, because we will be asking for your donation today uh, for the Greer area soup kitchen. Uh, Hardly a day goes by that I don't have a a phone call or a visit from somebody who, who comes by the church needing help with something, often it's just with food, And it's a wonderful thing to be able to say to these folks, you don't have to go hungry today. We have lunch prepared for you here in in Greer. So we invite you to give generously to that as you leave today, as you see youth posted at uh, various doors. Let us now begin together our time in worship.
2: sit in heaven and sit at the right hand of god the father almighty from this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead i believe in the holy spirit the holy catholic church the communion of saints the forgiveness
1: of sins the resurrection of the body
0: Old Testament reading is Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms, to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Here ends the lesson. You have another opportunity to stand now, if you so wish, and turn to um, page 794 in your hymnal as we share this passage of scripture together responsibly. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me and rescue
2: me. Incline your ear to me and save
0: me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God,
2: from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust
0: and cruel. For you, O Lord, are my hope. My trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon
2: me I have leaned from my birth. It was you who took me from my mother's womb. My
0: My praise is continually of you. I have been an example to many, for you are my strong refuge.
2: My mouth is filled with your praise and
0: with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those, Those who, who watch for my life consult together, saying,
2: God has forsaken him, pursue and seizing him, for
0: there is no deliverer. O God, be not far from me. O my God. This reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, one through, uh, 1 through 13, a passage that you're very familiar with, but um, this particular way I'll be uh, reading it today is because it is uh, taken from the amplified Bible translation um, of, of the scripture. It's a bit wordy, but it tries to grasp some words and all their um, deeper meaning, so here now as the Amplified Bible reports that passage of scripture. If I can speak in the tongues of men and even of angels, but have not love, that reasoning, intentional spiritual devotion, such as as is inspired by God's love for and in us, I am only a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, And understand all the secret truths and mysteries and possess all knowledge. And if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, God's love in me, I am nothing, a useless nobody. Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be burned, or in order that I may glory, but have not... Love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, It does not act unbecomingly. God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it and pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. As for prophecy, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, it will be fulfilled and pass away. As for tongues, they will be destroyed and cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. It will lose its value and be superseded by truth. For our knowledge is fragmentary and our prophecy is fragmentary, incomplete and perfect. But when the complete and perfect and total comes, the incomplete and imperfect will vanish away when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Now that I have become a man, I am done with childish ways and have put them aside. For now we are looking in a mirror that only gives a dim, blurred reflection of reality as, a, as in a riddle or enigma. But then when perfection comes, we shall see in reality and face to face. Now I know in in part, but then I shall know and understand fully and clearly, even in the same manner as I have been fully and clearly known and understood by God. And so faith, hope, love, abide. (coughs) Faith, the conviction and belief, respecting man's relation to God and divine things, hope, the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation, love, true affection for God and people, growing out of God's love for and in us, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Here ends the lesson. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. (coughs) Lord, it's a wonderful blessing to be able to be together as your family in this place this day. It is indeed a wonderful thing because we really missed last week the opportunity to sing the good songs of faith and to be uplifted by the message in the songs that we sing and to be encouraged in life by the smile of a neighbor or the handshake of a friend and so how grateful we are that we're able to be here today how grateful we are that you have given us this christian family to belong to We know we're not the only Christian family. There are others in this community and in other places around the world. And we pray your blessings upon them as well. But we know that you have put us together in a church family so that we might begin to comprehend in some small way the depth of your love for us. The individual care that you offer offered each one of us we know that we are only one human being among many many millions of people on this planet and yet you care for each one of us as if we were your only child and so we're grateful for this place to come and be reminded of that specific and very special care that you give to every one of us We're grateful that you tell us about your heart of love toward us, the care that you give to us, and we're grateful too that we know that we are in some ways to embody this love in the world. That love of yours is to take root in our hearts and minds in such a way that we go into the world not pretending to be someone that we're not, but that we go into the world living out the love that is growing within us, living as little embodiments of your love for the people we come in contact with this afternoon and every day this week. Help us, Lord, so to inhale this morning of your great love for us that when it is time to leave here and we exhale we might breathe the love of God into the lives of everyone we meet. For we believe, Lord, that you have great dreams and plans for us, not only as a church and a community, but also as a planet. And so we pray that you would help us to so embody your love, embody your loving presence, that others may be affected by your love. We're thankful that Jesus stayed on course and remained loving even when he was not always met with love, even when he was ultimately rejected. We marvel, Lord, at the one who was able to say as nails pierced his hands and feet, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. We know we've got a long way to go, Lord, before we embody that kind of love and grace. But help us to become like Jesus, who not only turned the other cheek, but forgave those who were taking his life. Lord, we remember, too, our friends in special times of need, those who are in hospital beds or at home recovering. We remember those who are struggling this day with grief and loneliness. We lift these to you for your loving care in these moments. May they be reminded of your tender love and care. And may you give them that peace that passes all our human understanding. We pray, O Lord, for those who are struggling in other ways that they might find in you the hope that they seek. For we pray these things in the name of our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.
1: Give us this day our daily bread,
0: and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving. 21 through 30. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote the proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, and yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Here ends the lesson. Well, today we have Super Bowl and we all watch it because of the commercials, because the game might be a dud, you never can tell. But a few years ago when product slogans were really in, youth groups began paraphrasing those product slogans to say something about the faith. It was a, a lot of fun. Uh, probably dated myself a little bit because I think I was a youth when we did some of this. But I remember some of the ones we came up with were things like this. God is like American Express. Don't leave home without him. God is like bear Aspirin. He works wonders. God is like hallmark cards. He cared enough to send the very best. God also cleaned like a white tornado. I remember that as well. What is God like? A friend of mine who is a pastor says that most people picture God as being rather stern, sort of like your eighth grade algebra teacher. Now with apologies to teachers in general and algebra teachers in particular <clears throat> let me say that some of us did have some rather Lulu algebra teachers coming along. I can think of several. And that's the field my son has gone in. That's, isn't that something? He'll be another one I guess. Charlene probably remembers my dad's first cousin that taught uh, uh, advanced algebra as he called it at the high school that I attended. Uh, Charlene left a year before I got there. But uh, he used to love to try to trap us in things. For instance, he'd put a wad of paper in various places, different wads on the floor, to see if any of us came in and noticed it and cared enough to pick the paper up and throw it in the trash can. Well, we didn't, (laughs) but we learned to care because you got good grades, you know. He would purposely take the chairs that were in a row and get them looking like they needed an orthodontist, you know, for braces, to see if any of us would straighten up our rows before we started class. I don't know what it had to do with algebra, but that's what he did. And uh, he was a tough teacher as well, and a good guy though, I must say. But we do wonder, is God sort of like one of those algebra teachers setting traps for us in life just to trip us up to see if we will fail? Well, according to the Bible, God's attitude toward us and all of his creation is one of pride, joy, and love. During this season of Epiphany, we celebrate the various events that reveal Christ as the expression of God's love to us. But when we say God is love, have we clarified things very much at all? You and I use the word love so loosely and randomly in our vocabulary every day that the word doesn't have a whole lot of power anymore. We love football. We love food. Oh yeah, we also love our families. A teenage girl came home from a date and said to her father, Tommy just told me that he loves me. The girl's father looked skeptically at her and said, yeah, but Tommy also tells everybody he loves to fish. Maybe he just cast you a line. Well, in an effort to try to be more specific about that word love, our Greek kinfolk came up with at least four words that they used routinely to try to express love. One was the physical attraction between a man and a woman, eros. Another was brotherly love, philia. Another was a comfortable kind of love that only exists in a couple's life after they've been married like 50 years. Storgia, I think is what they call that. But then there was that word agape, which was a word in Greek that meant a perfect kind of love, a a love that didn't go away. It was a permanent kind of an assessment of someone else. It was unselfish in every sense of the word and very godlike. And Paul decided to use that word in describing the love that God has for us when he wrote his letter to the Corinthians. In writing to them, he was motivated to try to stimulate some maturity in their community. The church had lots of problems and he was trying to help them to work through those troubles. Um, They were especially proud of their various gifts and Paul tried to remind them that their gifts If you have talents, God gave them to you. It's not a source of pride, it's a source of thanksgiving. So Paul wrote to them to say that those gifts are important but there's nothing more important than having God-like love for one another. That that was more important than all the gifts combined and that without that kind of love operating in their community of faith, then Christianity would degenerate into a harsh rule-oriented religion. But even though Paul was addressing another issue, many have suggested that Paul was also giving us a definition of what God is like. And they have suggested that if you read 1 Corinthians 13 and substitute the word God or Jesus, wherever you see that word love, you'll begin to get a better picture of what God is like. And it seems appropriate to look at that during this season of love when God came to us in Christ to reveal his love to us. What is God like? Well, Paul begins by saying that God is patient and kind. Isn't it great news that God is patient with us? He can wait and wait and wait for the appropriate moment to enter our lives and to help us change. Some years ago at a youth rally that I was taking uh, part in, I overheard one of our young people at that church giving one of his friends the third degree. The first youth had just come back from giving his life to Christ, and he was trying to push, literally, all of his friends to jump in the uh, through the same hoop he had jumped through and to go to the front of the church and make their own commitment. And uh, this one friend wasn't quite ready for that, so he told her, That uh, now was her time, if she didn't accept Christ then, she would never be given another chance. Well, he had good intentions, but it was his his means that were not very godlike. So several of us intervened with these friends, and we told the young lady to go on home if she wanted to, to take all the time she needed to think about her life and her commitment to Christ. That God was patient, and he would be ready tomorrow or the next day or whenever it was that she wanted to come and give her life to him. With the pressure off of her, surrounded by the kind of love that we were able to offer her, she gave her heart to the Lord that day. God is patient. In fact, the Bible says that the reason that Christ has not returned from glory to end the world is that God is very patient, and he wants to give everybody plenty of time To come to faith in him. I love the little song that uh, some children sing from time to time. The little song says, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. How loving and how patient he must be. God is still working on me. God is patient. And God is kind. He has no cruelty within himself. He is entirely caring. And this kindness can be seen in his expressions to us. There are some people that come to my mind whenever I think of that word kind. I think about a a lady down in Saluda whose name was May. She was a church member down there. And when I would be called to go to the home of someone where there had been a death, May would have always beaten me there. And she would always be back in the kitchen doing whatever needed to be done to help that family washing dishes, preparing for the food which was gonna be brought in, and she never did receive any accolades or thanks for that except the private thanks of the family. She just was a kind human being who did what she did out of compassion. I think of my son's adopted grandparents when we were over in Greenville back in the 80s, Jimmy and Hilda Bolt, who when they were well up in years in their mid-70s, opened their home for their two little preschool-aged great-grandsons to come live with them. The judge in, uh, in court said, Mr. Bolt, you're too old to take on the task of these two little boys. Jimmy said, no, sir, I'm not. He said, while there's one breath left in my body, none of my descendants will be without a place to sleep tonight. And he talked the judge into granting custody of these little boys to to himself and his wife. And today, one of those young men is a doctor. And the other one is a church musician playing an organ and teaching music at a college. Where would they be without someone like that who was kind to take them in? I think about Hilda again another time when she was hospitalized for severe heart trouble. The doctors had to restrict her use of the telephone, not because she was getting a lot of calls checking on her. She was making too many calls from her hospital bed, checking on church members who were sick. They took the phone away from her to let her get some rest. God is like that. He's kind, Paul says. He never does anything that tears down or discourages his children. And didn't we see that in the life of Jesus? When the disciples wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy a Samaritan village that would not welcome Christ, Jesus fussed at them for their lack of kindness and patience. God is never envious or jealous, Paul says. How do we reconcile that with the statement in the Ten Commandments that tells us that God is a jealous God? Well, one of the ways we might try to pull those two together is to say that The Old Testament view of God was not as complete as it should be or else Jesus wouldn't have ever needed to teach when he came. If our understanding of God had been all that it should be, then Jesus didn't need to give us all the words he gave us. But another way of handling this apparent disagreement is by looking at the degrees of jealousy. The Amplified Bible says that love never boils over with jealousy. Sometimes when I see uh, couples that are married, I see the extreme of boiling over. Uh, that is when a person has a possessive distrust of another person and makes the other person almost a prisoner. Husbands that question wives if they're five minutes later than expected coming home. Wives that show anger if their husband speaks ever to another woman. That's that kind of boiling over jealousy that is foreign to God's love. But there's another extreme I sometimes see, and that is occasionally I see couples that seem to have no jealousy whatsoever. They say it's fine with them if their spouse even dates other people. Well, if there's absolutely nothing considered wrong with marital infidelity, then I question whether that couple really has any love at all between them breach of faith by people we love should bother us. That's the kind of jealousy that Moses was talking about. God feels so strongly about us that he is pained by our giving anyone or anything the place in our lives that we need to give to him and only him. Is God jealous? Not in that possessive distrusting sense But in the sense of desiring to occupy his rightful place in our lives, yes, he is. Next, God is not boastful or attention-seeking, we're told, and he's not arrogant or rude. He doesn't insist on his own way. So often, the boasting, attention-grabbing people that I have known have been those that really were the most insecure people who needed constant reassurance that they were loved. People who are not secure need to brag all the time, but secure people don't seem to have that need in order to bolster their public image. God has no need to show off or brag. He knows who he is and knows that he is in ultimate control of all things. God is also not arrogant or rude, we're told. You could say that God has Uh, exemplary manners. He doesn't barge into our lives without our inviting him. He is not self-seeking. He is entirely unselfish. And like any good parent, he puts the welfare of his children above his own welfare. And isn't that very obvious when we look at the cross that God was willing to put our welfare above his own he does not insist upon his own way. That's why he has given each one of us free will. His love gives us the freedom to choose whether or not we will respond to his love and return his love. Then Paul tells us something that should be very liberating to you and to me when we feel guilt, guilty about things. Paul says that God takes no account of an evil done to him because he loves and forgets our misdeeds isn't that an amazing thing but isn't that what forgiveness is all about we humans depend uh, or rather we tend to remember for years when some evil is done to us but God is so loving that he quickly forgives and forgets God also deeply cares about fairness in our world justice in the Old Testament, as we read today in uh, the responsive reading, God is said to be the friend of the poor, the advocate for the poor. God cares deeply about fairness in our world and that we deal honestly with one another. And that is why the church many times has had to become involved where there is human oppression and suffering, whether it's homelessness or whether it's some government like was happening with apartheid in Africa. Wasn't it a wonderful thing as you looked back and began to hear during the 90s and the first part of this uh, new millennium, as we began to see what brought about the changes in the Soviet Union and what tore that Soviet Union apart? They gave the church and Christian people loads of credit for that. There were decades of prayer that God would relieve the oppression of the people. And it was wonderful to hear how Christian people began to stand up to their oppressors and to just not allow themselves to be so oppressed any longer. And that's what brought about all the wonderful changes that have been and are still going on in what used to be the Soviet Union. For surely, if a system of government sets out to deceive its people and deal unfairly with them, You can believe that God will be at work to bring about change that will lead to justice and righteousness. Then the Amplified Bible tells us something that makes this the most uh, wonderful passage to me in all the Bible, says that love, God's love, is ever ready to believe the best in every person. How wonderful that is. Have you ever been around a person that was ready to believe the worst in you? They usually get that, don't they? But how wonderful it is to be around someone who anticipates the best out of us. They tend to bring that out in us. I used to be amazed at the effect of Penny's grandmother on our little children when they were a little bitty five-year-old, two-year-old, because they were normal, rowdy children. but. Penny's grandmother, who was in very frail health in her final years, was a very soft-spoken someone. And when you came into her presence for a few minutes, you became soft-spoken also. And she had this quieting effect on the children and they would calm down and settle down and their hollering at each other became gentle whisperings back and forth She tended to bring that out in children as well as the adults. God does that too. God is love. He brings the best out in us. A Presbyterian missionary whose thoughts are imprinted on my soul used to tell us that he grew up singing a little song about how God was constantly watching over us, constantly watching when we do something wrong. Now that little song might have had the motive of trying to make people be on their best behavior, but it also paints a pretty negative, austere image of God. And my missionary friend said he later learned that that song had it all wrong. Indeed, God is always looking over our lives, but not looking for us to slip up and make a mistake. My friend would say that God is looking over our lives, carefully watching, looking for every opportunity to bless us when the opportunity came along. God watches us, looking for opportunities to bless us. What is God like? He's patient and kind with us always. He is not possessively jealous, nor is he boastfully showy. He is totally unselfish. He does not remember the evil deeds done to him he is forgiving God is fair and honest with his de- in his dealings with us he looks for the best in us and brings that out that's what God is like and that's what love is like we see this very clearly when we look at the life of Jesus for God was in Christ loving the world back to himself Amen Oh